you hear me mention that when a person is diagnosed with herpes, that there's this intense challenging of a person's identity. The main reason for that is that our sexuality is extremely interconnected with our identity. Or maybe I should have said that backwards. Our identities are super interconnected with our sexuality. Receiving an STI diagnosis completely shatters that. And it makes you have to rethink about who you are. Um, We've been conditioned by society to offer our sexuality our sexual purity, our sexual experiences to the person, a person who we're, we're going to be with for the rest of our lives, right? Like, oh, you know, this is for my husband, this is for my wife, this is for my partner. And that's, that's not 100%, you know, how this works, man. And so when a person receives an STI diagnosis, a herpes diagnosis, an HIV diagnosis, HPV diagnosis, it's like their entire identity has been shattered because they no longer know who they are. The word for this is grief. I, for so long, have considered grief and grieving to be a process of mourning the loss of a loved one. Um, someone has to die in order for there to be grief present. And I've learned that grief is very, very, very complex. We don't just grieve the loss of a loved one. Um, we can also experience grief, as I spoke with Erin Davidson about, on her book, uh, Break Through the Breakup, we spoke a lot about grief as it related to breakups as well as identities um, as to who we thought we were with that person that we've lost in our lives, which that was exclusively related to a partner. But I think about the grieving process of um, when I was 12, 13 years old and my grandmother's funeral was on my birthday. I had to grieve being a grandson to her. And as an adult, you know, I recognize just how significant her role in my life was looking back and talking to people about her. And I realized like, damn, dude, I'm not grieving that my grandmother passed away. Like I'm grieving the way that she saw me, the way that she made me feel, the way that she validated me as her grandson, as a life, as a being. Right. So that is one way that grief can be expressed when we look at it from a sense of identity. And so I want to just kind of throw that example out there and and leave it there as it relates to identity and an STI diagnosis, because I want for us to be able to examine grief beyond that grief in a sense of multi levels of its complexities are, um, I have a friend, a friend who uh, her brother had been shot and he was shot several times. And for about a week or two, he was in the hospital. They didn't know if he was going to make it out. And he did. Like He's alive. And now their family um, is encouraged to see a grief counselor. And what she shared with me was that their grief counselor stated that 
in the mind of the family, the the brother, her brother died. And so they have to grieve the identities that they had as a family who lost uh, a, a fundamental structure of their household, of their family. And he's right there, but cognitively, it doesn't make sense. So take that example. Take the fact that we're living in a pandemic. You know, COVID started in 2020. It's 2022. And we still have people who are having to live in a way where we're not we're not functioning at our, you know, whatever our baseline used to be. We had to create a new baseline. I don't want to use the word normal because nothing's ever been normal about existence here. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> but the baseline just changes. And in the adjustment of the baseline, like the grieving process, like a lot of us are grieving. We're grieving that we can't see people who have been significant to us in our lives, not as frequently or often as we may want to. We are missing out on, or we have missed out on uh, like secondary and tertiary connections, like being able to go into Starbucks and you see your favorite barista who knows your name or being able to order food at your favorite restaurant or get drinks at the bar with your favorite bartender or even uh, going to the gym and just like those people that you see there, you have a relationship with that you may have to grieve because of schedule changes. So many changes in people moving, relocating, the the um, people's like comfort level with exposure to uh, the pandemic, uh, exposure to COVID or their risk awareness or tolerance to potentially being um exposed to COVID. We look at concerts, big venues, going dancing. There are a lot of things that we have to grieve about as they relate to reflecting back to us who we are, or who we thought we were in the presence, in the experience of those other things. The reason that I want to speak to grief this episode is because uh, I had therapy today. And I took a yin yoga class, Y-E-N, uh, with someone that I'm looking to have as my mentor to teach me for my credit hours that remain for me to be 500 hour um, yoga teacher certified. And in this class, she spoke a lot about grief and she sent me a podcast to listen to as well so that I'll be able to speak more to it. But it was in this class where we had holds for five minutes and in this class, like I experienced a new level of grieving that I hadn't experienced before. Now, if you have taken yoga classes, you may have heard that the body stores emotions. If you've read The Body Keeps the Score or you're familiar with any sort of trauma information, then you'll understand that just being in certain postures in a yoga class can trigger an emotional response. You might start crying and have no idea why. You may go in pigeon pose and you just might get frustrated or angry and have no idea why. In my process of experiencing 
grief. Like I, I have this, I've had this blind spot that I was just completely unaware of. I was in, uh, it was just a basic forward fold, like a hamstring stretch. <clears throat> um, I had one foot tucked in to my inner thigh. My knee was out. Uh, my left knee was out to the left. And I had my right leg extended out with my toes pointed up toward the ceiling. And I just leaned over my right hamstring stretching. And we had to be in that posture for five minutes. In that stillness, in that silence, I heard a voice that is extremely unfamiliar to me. This voice spoke to me in a way that I have never been spoken to before. This voice said things to me that when I heard or felt the words, it struck my nervous system. I was activated. I was triggered. I had an arousal, a sense of arousal. Like my, my central nervous system was like, it felt like electricity was running through it, starting at the base of my neck, leaking out to the, my spine, my shoulders, down my elbows to my fingertips. And what this voice said to me was, you are worthy. You are here. Look at what you've done. Look what you've accomplished. You can make money. You can be, you are successful. You can make money and make an impact. This voice just ran wild speaking positivity to me. I recognize that in that space, my phone's off. Everyone's quiet except the teacher. And, you know, even then she was quiet throughout uh, the class as well. And she just spoke to like what grieving was, why we're doing certain postures. And then she just let us have our moments. I'm sitting there and I'm listening. I'm hearing this. I'm feeling this. And I'm like, I'm starting to smile. I'm starting to tear up a little bit. And it was just so many like compliments coming from this place that I don't think I've ever heard it come from before. And it was my own inner voice. My own inner voice, and it sounded like Eric Thomas. I don't know if y'all know E.T., the hip-hop preacher, but it was like that. It was, uh, he, he'd be like, you ain't you ain't doing nothing. How you going to want to be successful and you don't want to show up? Like, he, he wanted those motivational speakers, but like, it had that intensity, that energy behind it, but it was just speaking positivity in my ears. Courtney, you done accomplished this. You done accomplished that. You did this. Like, and you, you still like worried about experiencing rejection. How you, how you, you put presentations together, whole proposals and, and got 250, whatever podcast episodes demonstrating commitment to something that you care about. And you over here, like humbling yourself or like trying to keep yourself from, uh, being confident, like you got all the confidence in the world, and this, it just, I uh, almost let it. The waterworks almost flew, y'all. The waterworks almost flew. Not to say that, you know, hearing other people talk to me in this way or tell me how great of a job I am doing or how good I am, uh, how awesome I am. Like, I don't want to say that that means nothing to me. It feels good. I love receiving the compliments. But I learned that 
it doesn't carry near as much value for as much value as it does carry. It doesn't carry near as much value as me believing it. And I think that for the first time in this yin yoga class, I heard myself say things to me that I believed. So much that I I took it to my video game. Like, I'll get back to class, but I recognize this and I want to touch on it before I go. I play this game called Call of Duty Warzone. You basically throw 10 teams onto an island. There's a, a circle that closes in that shrinks the area. And you all, whoever the last team is standing, that's the team that wins. Teams of four. So I play and I'm always playing with my friends whenever we do get on. And whenever it's down to like the last few teams, I recognize that consistently what I will do is if I can, you know, win the game on my own. I choose, I usually choose not to. I go the unconventional route. I'll try to revive my teammates and let them finish it out, even at the expense of me no longer being able to be in the game. Like I'll run into, it'll be like a suicide mission, basically. I'll run to the buy station. I'll buy my teammates back and try and get them and put the, the burden of winning onto them. You know, I told my, I told them, I was like, no, nah, we're going to do things a little bit different. Because I also have games where I have been the last one. It's been me against a few other teams, and I held my own. You know, I didn't always win, but there were times where I would be the one to take out the last guy and be the last man standing, and I make that choice. Like, I'll come up against, there's like a fork in the road. I can bring back my teammates, or I can do this on my own. And no matter what, like, it doesn't matter how much they trust me or believe in me. Like, that's cool. But after hearing my own inner voice and being believing my own inner voice like i i done tapped into something that you know the quality of the intensity the power i didn't even know existed so like i believe you know my friends when they tell me i can do it but there's always a part of me that's been like yeah right no you're better you're better than me at this like this just distrust of myself and yesterday in his yin yoga class, like it, that sparked me going into my video game experience different. And let me tell you where else that shows up, like in uh, with with something positive for positive people. You know, I keep referencing this because this is where I see it. There is more like I, I don't have that that inner voice for myself. I just have like a, a go mode. And for so long, I've let other people, you know, tell me what this is rather than just, you know, making it what I want it to be. And it's been in those moments where I began to experience symptoms of burnout. But that's that's another that's a whole nother conversation to have. Um, Getting back to the, the grief part. So I in those moments of this yoga class had to begin to grieve. I was grieving. That's what this was. I shed layers of my own resistance to being the kind of person who is confident, the kind of person who does believe in himself, the kind of person who does not only talk things into existence, but also like believes those things. I very firmly believe in the power of belief. If you believe something hard enough and your will it it carries your behavior through to follow through with what it is that you believe. 
You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. And these these spurts of grief that hit me yesterday from me just talking myself up, talking so positively to myself. The way that I received it, my response was just like, wow, this is foreign to me. It's foreign to me that I speak to myself the same way that I speak to other people. Why is that? What was I grieving? I had to grieve this person that I no longer wanted to be. Once I got a taste of that, it ain't no going back. It ain't no going back to the the distrust. There may be moments, but I got to challenge that. I'm going to have to challenge it in the moment. I caught myself, you know, doing so this morning. And that that kind of grief was I am becoming the person that I want to be. So therefore, a by default, grieving process is going to happen for the person who I was, who I believed myself to be, for this person that my parents have convinced me that I was, that I've allowed life to convince me that I I was. Because now I've come up against the challenge of just being exactly who I am, you know, and, and what that means, you know, is it, that's, that's very subjective. It's very subjective to identify what that means. But what I can tell you is what came to mind for me throughout that experience of the yin yoga class was that I want more of this. I want more of this positive self-talk for myself. Where's my resistance? Where's my resistance to being able to do so? And y'all, I'm going to tell you this, like it it stems from narratives, narratives that I still subscribe to that were instilled in me as a child. I've mentioned before that um, the issue that I've had with my dad has been that he would set me up for excitement and then I would be disappointed. And so the narrative there is if I get too excited about something, I'm just going to be disappointed. It's not going to happen. So don't bother getting excited. I had a conversation with my dad about that. I wrote wrote like a journal entry, but it turned into a letter. (laughs) And then I recorded that. I recorded myself reading it and I sent the audio to my dad. He listened to it and he called me and he was like, son, I never knew that you needed anything. You never asked for anything. Like I just, you seemed like you were okay. And this was in 2021. It was 2020, I believe, when I did this. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, I I do come off as like needless Right. So I want you to hold on to what I just said there, because it's going to be important by the time I get to the end of this, where I'm taking you on this journey. Okay. my issue with my mom has been that she groomed me to be not like my dad, not like my granddad and also not like the men she dated. My mother groomed me to be very emotionally available. 
And I, I had a conversation with my mom actually today as well. And <clears throat> we talked about this. We talked about like the, the, the traits, the dominant traits or the more attractive traits uh, about my dad and what she liked about her father. These were the two people that we talked about. And I knew three things that she would say because these are things that I struggle with and that I've been told so much not to be in hearing, don't be like your dad, don't be like your granddad, all right? My mom said that <clears throat> my dad and my granddad were protectors. They are providers. She called my dad, you know, arrogant. <laughs> she said that he's also very smart. She said that her dad is very persistent. So we got five things here about two men that I've been told my entire life. Well, most of my childhood not to be like because these were men who hurt her. Right. So while these were men who hurt her, this is still what my mother is attracted to. So even in her dating and her relationships, her partners, that those were things that drew her two men. So me as a kid, I'm hearing, don't be like these people. I'm not hearing, don't do these things that these people do. So the resistance there and like what I'm hearing as a kid is if you're like my dad or like your dad, you're going to disappoint me and you're not going to receive my love you're you're it's it's risky like for a kid who doesn't get their primary care providers approval and love like that's that's synonymous with death that's like that's just science so my being groomed for emotional availability which is what my dad and my granddad didn't have that's what i had so when my mom wasn't getting what she needed emotionally from significant others, her dad, uh, my dad, I was there and I was groomed to listen and offer emotional support and be there and be empathetic and be in tune with emotion. So this explains why I have such high emotional awareness, maturity and intelligence because I was groomed for it and competing for my mom's attention or that reciprocity, you know, the reason that I became so emotionally available is because my mother was so emotionally unavailable. All right. So you've got the layout of my relationship uh, narrative to my mom and the narrative to my dad. Right. What I've come to learn is that you ready? I'm about to blow your mind with this. We seek to heal the unresolved business with our primary care provider through our relationships. I with my with my dad, I feel like after having spoken to him, I've gotten better, but there's still something, some bit of resistance there, right? Because I still find myself, regardless if I say, oh, I, I'm going to let myself get excited. 
I still find that things don't happen. Like sometimes people just flake. Sometimes stuff gets canceled. Sometimes I don't feel like doing a thing. So I'll hype myself up and get so excited. And then it just won't happen. So healing that looks one way. With my mom, I've recognized, huh, in my dating life, I am pursuing emotionally unavailable women because that's what's familiar. And I'm looking to make them emotionally available to me. Like I want from other people what I really want and need from my mother, what I want and need from my father. Okay. So I look at all my past relationships and I mentioned this before, like they all ended for some reason. And I was a very like powerful emotional support tool to the women that I've been in relationships with over the last however many years while they took care of whatever it was that they needed to take care of. Like I noticed there's a theme. Everybody was in school. (laughs) So once school ended or if somebody, you know, was a parent and they had like a good figure for emotional support, like and they didn't really need that anymore. It was like, all right, well, no, don't really need Courtney. (laughs) <laughs> or if somebody was going through a tough time, like I look at the pandemic, some of my relationships, like I've been a very emotionally supportive partner throughout the pandemic to some people. And some of those relationships still exist. Yay. They're healthy. I'm happy. They're going great. But then other ones, it was like, ah, all right, I got what I needed. And now I can move on. Like I, I feel, I felt that. And that may not be true, but this is the narrative that I've chosen to run with because not because, you know, it serves me in any way, but it just, it makes the most sense based on the narrative that I have, uh, in relation to my mother and how I pursue relationships and my father and how I'll pursue relationships. Right. So my mother was the primary caregiver, right. And me being groomed as this, again, my, when I talked to my mom, she apologized. She was like, I'm sorry, I damaged you. I was like, well, you didn't damage me. Like Batman watched his parents get shot in front of him. Superman's planet blew up. The Flash watched his mom get murdered. Like every hero, every superhero has their traumatic event that triggers their, their drive, their, their superpower, if you will. So I let her know. I was like, yo, no, you didn't damage me. You conditioned me. Like, I feel like the muscle of emotional awareness and intelligence has been flexed. Like, this is 30 plus years of emotional awareness just exercised from my mom, right? That is what my mom trained me to be able to do. Therefore, I am so good at running something positive for positive people because so much of it is receiving from uh it's it's giving it's giving that emotional support to a significant number of people uh on a daily basis and I can handle that but the thing was like my my I wanted to talk to my mom the same way that I sent that that message to my dad because I just want some type of, I wanted something. I didn't think, I couldn't figure out what it was in a moment and I'll get to what it was later, but I wanted something from my parents that 
I have been unconsciously pursuing in the relationships around me, like with my friends, my platonic friendships. It's never really been me being proactive and making plans to follow through because I want for my friends and people around me to get me excited. I want y'all to get me excited, but don't disappoint me. Why can't be the one to take the lead on that? Like I started doing things on my own. I went to Dave Chappelle uh, comedy show. I went to the Tyler, the creator concert. I bought tickets to Jack Harlow when he's here and Kendrick Lamar when he's going to be here. And I see Kevin Hart tickets go on sale too. So I'm doing these things on my own as a way of like repairing the the damage, if you will, <laughs> the conditioning from my dad. Because like my capacity to be able to enjoy myself in my own company should be significantly greater if my capacity to receive disappointment from the company of others or the absence of company from others, theoretically, right? And for my mom, what I've exercised is recognizing my capacity for extending emotional support. So like these are two things that have just been band-aids. So one band-aid is well, with my dad doing things on my own. The other band-aid with my mom has just been I no longer when people ask me how I'm doing, I'm not typing and texting that because it it, it seems to be sort of like um a, a a temperature check for whether or not Courtney is occupied with other things to where he won't be able to give me the emotional support that I've come to him for, but I'm not going to ask. And my band-aid to that has been, we're going to talk on the phone. All right, when can you talk? If you really want to hear about how I'm doing and you want to share, let's have a conversation. Let's go to lunch. Let's go to dinner. Let's, let's go to the hot tub. Like, let's go do an activity. And so these are just two band-aids. These are two band-aids for a much deeper wound because at the end of it all, I'm still not asking for what it is that I need from the people that I'm asking for, that I'm asking for something from. All in all, what I've come to realize and get your notebook because it's going to be a big one too. Now, what did I say earlier? I said that we unconsciously are looking to close out unfinished business with our parents through our relationships or our primary guardians, our primary caregivers. Okay. Um, these are two people that I don't know that I've ever received validation from until today. You know, like my, my dad would say, I'm proud of you, but it's like, all right, proud of me for what? My mom would say, I love you. I'm proud of you. All right. You proud of me for what? <laughs> and I today, you know, it was today when I was talking to my mom and she started to tell me like good things about myself. She started to speak to me in a way that reminded me of last night's yoga class where I was talking to myself about, you know, what I've been doing, like who I am. And I, I stopped her. I was like, because I, I was starting to tear up a little bit. And I asked her, I was like, hey, can you leave that on a voicemail for me? Or send me like a voice message of that. Like, I want you to like, when you have time, like, I want that. I want for you to tell me how you see me. I want you to validate me. 
And I realized that that tied in precisely with what my dad said to me. My dad said, he was like, son, you didn't seem like you needed anything. And when we look at, I mentioned dating and relationship, those are the two last uh, or episodes of this podcast. Um, I have a deep-rooted issue with rejection. And that deep issue with rejection keeps me, I'm avoidant. I'm avoidant of rejection. So I just don't ask for what I want. And I felt more vulnerable than I have in a really, 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 really long time by asking my mother to validate me. I consciously put the words together to the person who is the source of my core wound, trauma, whatever, and I asked her for what I needed. I did the same thing with my dad. I called him and I said, hey, I just had a conversation with my mom. This is where this is coming from. I I need this from you. And I asked both my parents for the thing that I have not been consciously asking for from the people around me. I've not been able to do that because of the fear of rejection. So I went to the 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 people, the two people who have the most who've done the most harm to me throughout my life through their uh the the traumas that I just discussed, like the emotional unavailability of my mom to me and then the disappointment from my father. And I asked them I just need from them because I was talking to my therapist today. He was like, well, what if you don't get what you want? I was like, you know what? I think I did just by asking. I asked for it. If they reject me or if they don't say what I think they're going to say or want me to say, all right, you know, I know how they feel. And it's not necessarily uh, about receiving the validation from them. It's more about permission. I feel like there is an energetic lock and key. Like I have a lock on my confidence. I have a lock on my uh, my will to provide, my will to protect, my will to demonstrate my intelligence, my will to um, to of, of persistence. The things that make up, you know, what my mom says she didn't want me to be like with my dad and my granddad. There's an energetic lock there. I need from them by me having asked my parents for uh, this validation, I think that a key has presented itself. And I'm in the process of figuring out, you know, what, what key goes to what lock. And once they say whatever it is that they are going to say to me, you know, whether it matches my inner voice or not, <laughs> I feel like that lock is removed so that I can be free to get rid of the resistances that I've had to being like my dad or being like my granddad. I've been resistant to making money. Like I don't like asking people for money for something positive for positive people. I don't like, uh, I've, I've always had this like, this excuse for not being wealthy or making a lot of money, just being, oh, money, turn, money makes people bad. Money's bad. That's a real belief that I've had. For years and years, being a protector, I have a fucking temper, all right? When you piss me off, I am in a rage and it is hard to get me out. I have not expressed anger. I can't think of when. Well, 
suicide makes me angry. I think I've I've mentioned this before. Like the idea of someone wanting to die by suicide, that makes me angry. Bam, birth of nonprofit organization. That anger was directed. My mom has always said to me that I have a temper. Like there have been there's been times where I have lost it and I read somewhere that 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 rage, that anger is actually a demonstration of the ability to protect. I watched this dude, um, this couple, they skirt uh, over to the side of the road at a bus stop here in Portland. I got groceries. I got earphones in. I'm at the bus stop. It's me and this like old Indian dude just standing there. Woman gets out of the car, slams the door, walks away and is yelling. Dude gets out of the car, bunch of tattoos, no shirt. And I'm like, oh man, I can't let him hit her. Like if he hits her, I'm I'm going to lose it. So I walk over, you know, just to make my presence known. I get a little bit close to the car. The car's probably 100 feet from the bus stop. I get to about 50, 60. And they, he, like, chases her, follows her to the end of the street. They're yelling, and he shoves her. And I go, oh, shit, I put my grocery bag down. He shoves her again. And I hear, I don't know where these people were, but from high up somewhere, they were like, don't put your fucking hands on her, man. And then the dude, of course, starts talking shit. Goes, I'm handing out fades. I hand out a fade to anybody. Oh, my mama, come down here. I beat your ass, nigga. And so at this point, I'm, I kind of like smirk because at this point, I I have not expressed anger in a very, very long time. So I would have felt very rationalized and justified in beating the shit out of this dude for putting his hands on this woman. However, there was that inner voice that I'm that's probably quiet. It was like, Courtney, you got way more to lose than this dude. And she finna get in the car with him and he gonna go home and more than likely beat the shit out of her anyway. And I was like, no. And sure enough, she gets in the car and they drive off like right after this exchange. And so I felt like bad, man. I was just like, dude, like what? There's nothing that I could have done about that. Or what could I have done? Like, what if I hit him and then she pulled me off? So I called my granddad because he, my 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 father's father, because uh, I try to talk to him once a week. And I told him what happened. He said, well, son, <laughs> I was in the military, 18 years old. We saw this big dude beating up on this woman, a little bitty woman, pulled him off of her, you know, beat him up. They pressed charges on on him and his friends, both of them. Like it was just like a little scam they were running, and I, I've seen that before. But like, you know, it, it's it, it was validating to me that I was able to avoid a situation like that. But at the same time, like my identity as a protector there was challenged because I was helpless. You know. Like, and yeah, that dude could have stabbed me. He could have shot me. You know, I don't know what was going on. I don't know who he was or what he had going on. He could have been in the gang, had face tattoos and shit. I mean, that wouldn't have stopped me from beating the shit out of him. But I'm learning that it's not important for me to prove a point to anybody anymore. Like, I don't have anything to prove. I didn't need the validation of the, the bystanders who were in the area. I didn't need the attention. And I think that a lesson in that for me was that yeah I, I I am able to protect but the resistance that was there was still like this little whisper in my head of don't be like your daddy 
And my mom told me a story about how crazy my dad is when he mad. Uh, she said somebody was messing with her at work and he showed up with a baseball bat. So, bam, protect her. My granddad, my mom's dad, we ain't gonna talk about it. <laughs> we ain't finna talk about what he done did and been through. So, there we go. Like, my identity as a provider, my identity as a protector, my identity as far as persistence goes, like, I don't typically stay at jobs for a very long time, but when it's something that I absolutely care about, football and now podcasting and yoga and uh, this whole, you know, the the interconnectedness of sexual health and mental health. When I find something that I'm passionate about, I'm all in until I can't do it anymore. I played football from age 12, 13 until my last year of college. I saw it through to the end. Yay. That's not necessarily, that's not a toxic trait, but again, there's been resistance even to the persistence. There's resistance to my intelligence. Like I have this self-doubt and then the whole thing about arrogance or too much confidence or cockiness, like I overly humble myself as a way of resisting, accepting that part of myself because then I'm just like my dad and my mom didn't like that. So what I learned was to show up in relationships in ways that are not like my dad, not like my granddad, and exactly the way that my mom conditioned me to be, which is an emotionally aware, available, and intelligent man who doesn't ask for what he needs. So this comes off as being extremely needy in relationships because I'm figuring out manipulative ways of getting you to recognize and identify what it is that I need from you. And I want you to give it to me. Having the realization of that combined with like everything I done talked about in the last two podcast episodes and now like tying it in with grief and having to grieve this this version of myself that holds on to these narratives so strongly that now like you can't unsee this shit. You know, that belief has now been shattered. It's fragile. Those beliefs, those narratives are glass. And the challenging of a belief is something as simple as just like putting a chip in the glass and there's a crack. And the more you touch it, the more you look at it, the more you examine it, you start to see that motherfucker spread. Like the the glass is is the crack has expanded, and I think that you know it's it's about to explode, and whatever's on the other side of that glass or whatever like has been underneath that is about to is flourishing. It is flourishing, like it's here. It's me, and I think that if I didn't have my parents, I would look for the next closest person whose opinion and validation matters significantly to me. That means a lot to me. And I would ask him to do the same thing. Like, can you just speak positivity to me? And I would know or like not even positivity, but like give me permission. Like, I want to know from you. I want I want to hear from you that it's okay for me to be who I am. That's what I got from my mom today. That's what I kind of got from my dad after our after I sent that message and we had our conversation, but I didn't directly ask for what I needed, and that was the problem like i i I look at like how I deal with rejection you know this is the most this is the most vulnerable thing that I have ever done. Ask the source of my pain to do something for me that is going to heal that pain. 
my mom's emotional unavailability and grooming me to be emotionally available to everybody else. And oh, selfishness was another thing. I think that my dad and my granddad do a very good job of taking care of themselves. Whereas I have had such a resistance to self-care. My dad shoots guns. He goes to the gun range. Um, he likes to hunt. He'll go fishing. These are some of his hobbies. My granddad worked on works on his car. He uh, likes to go back home to Mississippi. Um, he's in, involved with, uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's kind of like a fraternity. Maybe it is a fraternity. And these are things that they do to take care of themselves. And to me, taking care of myself meant harming my mom because these were things that she didn't like about them. She didn't like that my granddad or dad like indulged in self-care because it was selfish, right? Or because she couldn't do it. My mom had me at a young age. She didn't like how, <clears throat> um, or she liked how smart my dad was, but didn't want me reminding her of him. Same thing with the 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 thing about providing, protecting. I didn't hear don't do these things that your dad did that I don't like. I just heard don't be like him. Don't be like your granddad. Don't be like these men in your life in any way. And what's interesting is that in my relationships in dating women, <clears throat> I show up very passively and with a lot of that feminine energy, the, the holding space, the emotional support capacity, right? I'm not assertive at all when it comes to dating. Like anybody that I've dated, for the most part, there's a few that I like. I fought through hell my breath and like sent that DM. <laughs> and there's a few of those that, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't passive with, but I look back at my dating history and man, everything's been super passive and just like emotional or feminine, if you will. And for the types of women that I go for, like that's not the kind of man that they want. And again, you know, this was me being needy because I'm not actually demonstrating who I am because I was taught not to be who I am. So I'm presenting a facade, somebody else. I am absolutely confident, assertive in my masculine when it comes to something I'm passionate about. Look at playing football. I sacrifice going out of the country, going to other states, making more money, all so that I can continue to play football. Here I am now, five years into a podcast, nonprofit, and I am so confident. You can't, I don't give a fuck about your rejection. I'll apply to your conference. Oh, you don't want me there? All right, I'll apply again. I ask you to be on my podcast. Oh, you don't want to be on my podcast or you blow me off? All right, I ain't got to ask you again. I'll just go on to somebody else. That assertiveness, that intentionality, that confidence, arrogance, if my mom were to tell you, I have no problem demonstrating that through something positive for positive people. Where is that in the rest of my life? It's being held captive by me. It's in the lock. It's behind this this glass that has begun shattering after last night's yoga class, after today's conversation with my mom, after planting that seed with my dad, after having therapy. So much 
at one time. And like I'm I'm in a space where I've processed, so I'm able to speak to this um so fluidly. And I mean arguably this is part of my processing as well. But <clears throat> I, I wanna encourage y'all, man, if you got somebody around you who can validate your identity, who can, you know, um who may have had like a long standing relationship in your life and you just asked him, you know, who am I? Like what, who am I to you? Like, val- can you validate me? I promise you, you will stop seeking unconsciously the validation from the rest of the world. And you'll realize like they don't matter. Nobody else's opinion matters. You know, arguably my parents' opinions about me don't even matter. But there's a block that I've been blinded to, and this is what I know to finalize this aspect of my healing process so that I can close this out, so that I can spill that that confidence from something positive for positive people in my dating, in my relationships, in my personal life, in my yoga practice, in my sports, in my video games. Like that, that shouldn't be exclusively in one thing. Like I, I look up, man, I done moved across the country. I moved here. With, I moved to Portland, Oregon from St. Louis, Missouri with $5,000 after selling all my stuff and hustling my ass off at the gym to be able to save that much to move here. I had an idea of where I was going to stay. That didn't work out, but it worked out. I got a job that is very supportive of me as a person in my nonprofit. People are impacted. I get messages regularly telling me how much of an impact I have on people's lives. People donate. I got funding, not just one funding. I got um, another set of funding that's coming in. And I get to do the the projects that I want to do. I get to continue to record this podcast. I have my vehicle of expression. I've been practicing setting boundaries. I'm getting sex. I'm having the relationships that I want to have. I got a savings account now. I'm working. I'm making time for play. I bought some ropes. I'm I'm starting to tie all kinds of shit up, y'all. I can't wait till my uh my rope for skin because I just been practicing with this uh like cheaper rope that I got. I just been practicing like tying knots and just getting familiar with it. So when a real thing get here, I'm finna start tying. I'm finna start tying people up <laughs> and having fun with that. And, you know, all of that now, like this is a this is a version of myself that I like and I like it. And that means that I have to continue to shed the old layers of who Courtney thought he was, who Courtney used to be in order for me to maintain and continue to evolve as the version of Courtney that I'm showing up as today. So <clears throat> the 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 validation that the permission that I'm hoping to get from my parents is like think about it like this, okay? The quality of their validation is going to because these were the first voices in my ears. These are the these are the people who planted the narratives. And I chose to interpret them like they planted the events, the nurturing, the the nature and the nurturing that took place. And then I have internalized and given a narrative to 
that nurturing and that naturing, that nature, the environment I was in, whatever. So the undoing is me going in with them and just kind of being like, hey, you know, what? what's your interpretation of what happened here? And getting an understanding of where they were coming from or what they see now so that I can just have that permission to exist as myself, as a man, as a man who is a provider, a protector, who is intelligent, who is persistent, who is arrogant, who is confident, who is selfish and indulges in his self-care. But also being able to bring that emotional awareness and intelligence and maturity that my mom grew me for, like accepting all of myself. I struggle to accept myself because I've never really been given my right to passage, if you will, because I've always been very needily expecting other people to do it for me. And I've been too afraid to ask for it. So that speaks volumes to my issue of avoiding rejection. Like I'm charging straight through that avoidance of rejection. And again, going straight to my mom, who's rejected me emotionally as a kid, straight to my dad, who has uh, disappointed me after getting me extremely excited a lot of times as a kid. And all in the process, like I'm grieving that version of myself that created these narratives and believed these narratives because they don't serve me anymore. And they also have been challenged by my beliefs. Like my behaviors are in that glass that once my behaviors start, or I'm sorry, my beliefs are in that that glass that started to have a crack. And as I started to examine that, the 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 shattering really began to take place when my behaviors you know, like I've, again, like all the stuff that I've done, started a nonprofit, moved across the country, turned my herpes diagnosis into a whole business that's like helping other people deal with their herpes diagnosis. The 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 podcast recordings and editings for universities, teaching yoga, like these are all things that I have never said to myself. I have never taken a moment to celebrate myself. And in that yoga, that yin yoga class, where I was experiencing my inner voice talk to me in a way that I hadn't been talked to before, that was grief. Like I smiled and almost cried because I recognized that I had a breakthrough. I had a breakthrough of something new that I like that I'm going to hold on to. I'm holding on to that. Yeah, you you can't, you ain't going to be able to take this inner voice from me. And you know, some people might not like it. Some people may not like, you know, this, this, this version of myself that I have become at this point, that I am becoming. I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm healing. Everybody's healing. And for me to, to just obtain that permission to heal, to be, to exist, to be here from Again, the sources uh, that have provided the most damage can also provide the most healing. So I won't need to seek out validation and approval from people who find something positive for positive people, from uh, my Instagram followers, from my podcast listeners, from women at the gym 
or cute girls that I want to approach and talk to. Like, I don't need to seek anybody's approval. I got my own. And this this interaction with my parents that I'm hoping to have, you know, I, you know, people getting older, like, we don't know how much time people got left. So it means a lot to me to be able to have on a recording my mom and my dad telling me, like, validating me. Hey, parents, I need y'all to validate me. Not tell me who y'all think I am so I can believe it. But like, I, I believe that this is who I am. Validate this for me. Validate this with me so I can stop looking for this validation from the world. So often, you know, we we find ourselves, we don't even realize it, y'all. But we are asking from people around us unconsciously what we need to consciously be asking from a particular person. I look at people who post to social media talking about, don't you hate when people do this? And they just want validation from anybody. And it's still never enough. Rather than going to the person who caused the problem and just being like, hey, I don't like when you do this. It makes me feel this way. Can you do this instead? Or if that happens, can we decide to move forward in this way? We don't do that. So this is me demonstrating that probably at one of the more extreme levels which is, again, just I'm going to the source and I am directly asking for what it is that I need because my dad said, son, I never knew you needed anything. And what I say, the unresolved, we, we look to finish the business of our unresolved relationships with our parents. I can't keep looking to make a woman emotionally available to me. I can't keep looking to have a career that or or friendships that won't disappoint me. I, I'm I'm very worthy of doing stuff on my own and creating the opportunities for myself, asking for what I need. I'm smart. I'm a provider. I'm a protector. I'm confident. I might be a little arrogant, but so. And it's okay to be selfish as long as it's not harming anybody. You know, my self-care being I don't get on social media. I don't respond to social media messages between 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. I do yoga every morning. I got to go to the gym every day. I don't really like to check my news feed or anything like that until I've done what I need to do. But my time in the morning is my time in the morning. I'm spending more time with my friends, even if it's through the video game. Like this, this, this grieving process is immense and it is so complex and it looks so many different ways. We have to, I am grieving a narrative that no longer serves me. Narratives that no longer serve me. And I'm welcoming in my own inner voice. More of that. More of how I how I heard myself talk to myself. It ain't no reason I should have had that reaction. I hear it all the time, but it has so little quality, even though the quantity of positivity that I receive from the world is there, it's not the same significance. The quality of validation coming from a place where you are asking for it from. I am directly asking for what I need as a way of resolving the or closing out the unfinished business of my childhood traumas. 
with my mom and with my dad. And I'm allowing myself to stop resisting being who I am because that was who, you know, being that would have disappointed my mom. So that's it, man. I, I don't I don't need it. I, I like, you know, hearing that I'm helping people and how I'm helping people because it helps me help other people. So I hope that you all got something out of this like you have from the previous episodes, y'all. And continue to like, rate, review, share, and give me your thoughts on these episodes so I can share. Till next time, stay sex positive.